You're listening to the Lessons in Real Estate Show, sponsored by Mission First Capital, bringing real estate investment deals for active duty and veteran investors. Your host, Anthony Pinto, searched land, air, and sea to find military investors just like you investing in multifamily and commercial real estate, both active duty and veterans. Hear their stories, learn their lessons, and be inspired by the obstacles they have overcome on their path to financial freedom. Whether you are overseas or stationed at home, if you want to get started as a military real estate investor, this is the show for you. And now your host, Anthony Pinto. I'm so excited to have you guys here today on the revamped new and improved version of the Lessons in Real Estate show. I wanted to refocus on my mission here in life uh, with this podcast, and that is to help teach and inspire 1 million military members and veterans to achieve financial freedom through real estate. And as a part of the March to a Million campaign, my call is to show you the path to freedom of time and money, whether you intend to stay in for 20 years or get out next year. And so listen to the stories of fellow military members and investors just like you struggling, overcoming, and achieving success in multifamily real estate, and even some of them doing it while active duty, and really dig into their lessons learned, as well as their failures on their path to success. Uh, But you came here for the show, so let's get to it. Hey learners, and welcome to another edition of the Lessons in Real Estate show. I'm your host, Anthony Pinto, and as the last episode in our uh, Real Estate Rookie series, we have Joe. And uh, Joe and I actually just recently met talking right before this podcast. He seems like a really awesome guy, and I'm really excited to have him on the show here today. So uh, Joe grew up outside of Chicago, Illinois, where he uh, enjoyed construction, mainly because his father was an electrician, and he always enjoyed working on various projects and, uh, and jobs. He earned his Bachelor's of Science in Construction Management from the University of Illinois and uh, worked for a general contractor in Chicago as a project engineer for two years. Uh, After that time, he decided to switch course, and he joined the Marine Corps in 2001. After serving six years as an infantry officer, he decided to um, switch course again, and he focused on building a family outside of the military. Awesome. I love that. Uh, After he left active duty, he went back to school, and he earned his MBA with a focus in real estate. And after that, he graduated and married his lovely wife, Amelia, and landed a W-2 job in Atlanta at the Home Depot headquarters. Um, and he started his real estate career, uh, mainly acquiring two to four unit properties and had a couple duplexes before he uh, realized that um, there's just uh, wasn't a lot of satisfaction <laughs> in doing small multifamily and just kind of realized uh, that he wanted to have something bigger. So started web networking, attending webinars and setting up calls and reading books. He ended up connecting a, with a mastermind for military veterans and investors um, I, I have a, I think I know which one he's talking about and uh, started looking more into commercial real estate and specifically multifamily properties. Uh, currently, he's taking deals and looking at deals in greater Atlanta area as a general partner in B and C class properties. And uh, he's also passed some investor in 82 units as a limited partner. So that's awesome. Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, you covered a, you covered a lot there, but uh, Anthony, love your show, love your logo. Um, you know anyone anyone that has a podcast, uh, you know it takes a spe- it's a special skill. So I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, man. You know, in any podcast 
good podcast hosts will tell you that it's not the person who's running the podcast. It's the guests he has on that make the, make the show worthwhile. So I appreciate you coming on here and, and sharing your story. Cause it sounds like you have a, you have a lot to offer and I'm really excited to, to hear about your, your real estate journey, your military background. I mean, you've, you've covered a lot here. So, um, so with that, what's with that, let's get started on, you know, how did you, how did you get into real estate in the first place? Cause it sounds like it's, it was almost in your blood. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I had the construction background. I do enjoy working with my hands. Um, you know, but I was getting good grades in high school. My dad, you know, pushed me into going to college. So two years into college, I was, uh, going to get a business degree and then went in and said, Hey, you know, I have a construction background. I enjoy being outside. I can't sit in an office all day. What do you have for me? Right. I want to, I want to continue going to school, but can we combine construction, um, with, with college? Right. So that's how I ended up on construction management. Um, and then, you know, what, during my time in the Marine Corps, um, you know, and, and everyone, almost everyone says this, but I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, and, you know, he, he talks about real estate in that book very much. And it got me thinking. And then that turned me on to Bigger Pockets. Um, I, I feel like I've listened to at least 200 hours of Bigger Pockets podcasts. But uh, so, so after I get, you know, listening to Bigger Pockets in the Marine Corps, listening to Bigger Pockets while I'm going to graduate school. Um, I really came out and was like, man, you know, um, I could work for myself and do real estate and kind of combine my skills in construction and eventually work independently. Um, and after those first two duplexes, I, I realized really quick um, how hard it is to scale on your own. Um, and you do some simple math and you find out, you know, you're not going to be leaving corporate America in, uh, in single digits. It's going to be, you know, 20 plus years if you plan on doing it by yourself. So, um, again, you know, even in undergrad, I didn't want to be stuck in an office and here I am, uh, you know, 10, 15 years later stuck in an office. And, uh, so started networking a little bit more, uh, came across, the military mastermind that focuses on commercial real estate. And uh, it really just exposed me to my options. Um, and what really excited me was that a lot of the people in the group are fellow veterans and they're not independently wealthy. So this isn't a group of just independently wealthy people that are buying these commercial properties. Um, so it kind of made me feel like I had a chance, right? Um, and I, I really felt like I was in the right spot. So, um, so yeah, and then, you know, that's where I am now. I recently um, am a, became a passive investor in 82 Doors. Um, I'm, you know, really comfortable with the team I'm investing with. And uh, I'm excited, too, because I can actually grow my money and learn at the same time. The team I invested with, you know, they, they're very good about walking you through the process as, you know, throughout the journey of the investment. So, um, you know, I get to make a little money and learn at the same time. Um, so that when it, when it does come time to GP, uh, my first deal, which hopefully is sooner than later, um, you know, I'm ready to go. So. Awesome. Yeah. I love it. That's, that's an amazing story that you have there. Um, so let's, let's dig into your duplexes a little bit more. Uh, did you, 
were you trying to take this down and like do everything yourself as like a contractor or with the background that you had? Is that what was really kind of the, um, the final straw with those duplexers or, you know, what, what kind of happened with those? Yeah. So the, the first duplex, um, that I purchased used the VA loan. Um, and my wife and I house hacked it. So we lived in half of it and then rented out the other half, a long-term tenant. Um, it's an older, it's a 1950, but it's like five minutes from downtown Atlanta. So it's very, uh, very close to the city. Um, easy, you know, there's plenty of Airbnbs in the neighborhood. Um, but, but at the same time, it's a 1950s neighborhood, big trees. It feels like a neighborhood. It definitely doesn't feel like the city. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's a lot of projects involved. Um, I'll just tell you right now, um, I currently don't have water in my house, um, because the water supply, uh, cracked underground and, uh, you know, we've had tropical storms all this week, so they, they weren't able to, uh, replace it. But, uh, I will say, you know, with the construction background, and I think this is, this is probably the hardest part for me is because I know I could do it myself. I could, I could run that plumbing line from the street and hook up my water, right? It, I would have to take a day off work and it would take me the whole day to do it, but I could. Um, and that's what's difficult for me, you know, with multifamily is because, you know, I shouldn't be using my hands, right? The goal is, is passive investing, right? You're working your way towards long-term wealth, passive investing, and uh, when I see, you know, that there are things that I can do um, by myself and, and even save a little money, it's hard for me to say, oh, no, I'll pay someone else to do that. And, and to some extent, it's a pride thing, right? Um, you know, uh, us, us military males, you know, if we, if we can do something, we want to we take action and get it done. But the opportunity cost... Um, you know, what I really should be doing is spending my time underwriting more, right? Instead of fixing the plumbing problems, uh, just because I can. So that, that's something that's really been difficult for me is, is uh, time management. Just because you can do it doesn't mean you should be doing it. Oh, man, I totally relate to that. I, um, <laughs> I, uh, I got taught by my dad that you got to do everything yourself. You shouldn't have to pay anyone else to do it um, unless it's something like you need to have a license for. And so, um, you know, when I first bought my quad, I I did the same thing. I did the majority of the work. I think with the exception of like the flooring, which was just installing carpets, I pretty much did everything myself, like new bathrooms, like new toilets, um, new kitchens, new water heaters. Like I did all that myself. Um, and it was a lot of work, but I really enjoyed doing it. Um, was it the best use of my time? Probably not. And that's what I think I kind of realized from doing that work is that, yes, I could pay someone to do this. And yes, I could, or yes, I could do it myself. But is my time worth the the three hours it's going to take me to install this water heater um, and make sure that the electrical is working on it and make sure all the the connections are hooked up on it is it worth my time to go in and figure out all day how to get the plumbing to fit up right on this on this uh, new vanity that we're putting in right and and i although i enjoyed it it wasn't necessarily worth my time and so when we bought the triplex a lot of the stuff that needed to be fixed over there we had some issues with 
um, some electrical stuff. We just got a, uh, got a contractor to go take care of, you know, and it was, it was more expensive than doing it myself, obviously, but my time was much better spent when I, when I fully realized and got into multifamily, it was better spent looking at deals, raising capital, doing due diligence, whatever else. So I really relate with that story and, and giving a, con- giving a control of, uh, of doing those types of projects. Yeah. It's, it's not easy. You know, it's, it's definitely not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'll tell you the, the other duplex, um, that we, that we, um, that we purchased and, and I say purchased softly because, um, my wife and I, you know, you know, I I'm in the mind, let's accumulate, let's build. Right. So we're, we purchased this first duplex six months later, I want to get another one. Right. And we're walking around the block and I uh, started talking to one of the neighbors a block away and I was asking about the property across the street, which was a fourplex. And I asked him, you know, do you know who owns that fourplex? Um, I'd be interested in talking to him about possibly buying it. And he's like, I don't know who owns the fourplex, but I own this duplex and I'd like to sell it. And I haven't put it on the market yet. And my wife's a realtor. So I was like, okay, well, let me take a look at it, you know? So the pieces kind of fell into place. Um, I ended up calling my lender and he was like, well, you know, you just purchased another duplex five months ago uh, with the VA loan. So you have almost no no equity in your current duplex and now you want to buy another one. Um, He's like, I just can't do it. You know, you can't do it. You know, Um, you could call any lender. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. So um, I negotiated a lease to own contract with the owner. Uh, we agreed on a selling price and kind of the split of what we would pay in rent and everything like that. And this is right when COVID started. So that was the whole reason he wanted to sell it. Um, he had an Airbnb super host that was previously managing the property. And then as soon as COVID happened, Airbnb went up in smoke. And the super host basically said, I'm out. I don't want any part of this property anymore. I'm not making any money. Um, So, you know, we have to go our separate ways. So that's why he was going to put it on the market. And I saw that as an opportunity. Um, So I jumped on it. And let me tell you, um, I've been doing Airbnb now for uh, quite a few months. And it is a lot of work. It is a ton of work. Um, just the messaging, even if you have someone cleaning, uh, you know, it's, it's a duplex. So there's two separate apartments, but even if you have a cleaning company coming in, you're getting messages all day, every day, people are getting locked out. The neighbors are calling because people are staying up late. It is just, uh, it is not passive at all. So, uh, th- those are, you know, those are the kind of the kind of experiences that I've had with these first two properties. And I am just, my focus now is just becoming more passive. <laughs> so, uh, commercial and multifamily is, you know, the more I can focus on that, the, the, the better off I'm going to be. Mm-hmm. I think a good point that you bring up there is, um, the, the passivity of commercial real estate, and it may not be as passive as people think, but I think what is what makes it more appealing is that the amount of work that you have to do as an individual is much less because you're working as a team rather than an in, yeah, like yeah. you or your wife trying to take care of getting the scheduling done and clean and scheduling the cleanings 
and, you know, picking out furniture and, you know, handling the taxes and everything that's involved with the Airbnb and, uh, you know, in, in a single family home or a duplex. So totally get that. And I think that's a, a huge win in the, in regards to multi, like larger multifamily and commercial real estate is your ability to work as a team. Cause unless you, unless you have a ton of money and you can just willy nilly buy properties, like you're going to have to do a team, right? You're going to have to have someone who can bring that worth loan, you know, um, guarantee the loan, someone who can do investor relations, raise capital if need be. I mean, there's just a lot of moving parts that go into it. And that's good because then you have a lot of other people that can help burden or carry a lot of that, a lot of that burden. Um, but uh, something else I want to mention as well is, you know, a lot of people talk about driving for dollars um, and like in terms of wholesaling and you, you walking for dollars, I think is freaking awesome. Um, and I think it really highlights how hyper local real estate is and knowing your neighborhoods and knowing your market, like, like the back of your hand. You know, I see a lot of people that, um, that go, you know, they live in like the Northeast or do they live in California and they're buying out of state and, um, you know, they're going to these brokers and they're paying outrageous amount of money and they've never even looked at the property before. Um, and you know, you will maybe walk around another corner and there's a property that's just as nice, right. Or even nicer or a property that's a better deal. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's huge for us um, on the deals that I've done is we're invest a lot in Hampton Roads and my partner is local there. And so a lot of the deals we're finding is because he has been investing there for a while. He can walk the streets. He knows what the neighborhood's like because he's been investing in that area for a long time. So I think that's a really important lesson to understand is if you are going to be investing, you should probably start investing in your own backyard and seeing what's around you unless unless for some reason you're living in like california and everything it's just it just doesn't make sense to invest there at all um looking in your own backyard if not for the lessons that you can get from from analyzing the market and analyzing the deals and seeing what prints are going to be like i think it's a is a really great idea and it sounds like it's really worked out for you yeah and i, I i'll say you know when we first came down here um you know we've only been in atlanta for under two years so I'm still very much, you know, we're, I mean, right now I'm working from home, so I like to get out of the house anyway, but we're always driving new neighborhoods. And if, if anyone knows um, about Atlanta, it is, I mean, you could be in, in one neighborhood, uh, a class neighborhood and a block away, you're in a C class neighborhood. I mean, it is, uh, it is such a, a mix um, throughout the city. And, you know, we have ITP and OTP. So there's a, there's a highway perimeter around Atlanta and uh, every broker you talk to, you know, refers to ITP or OTP because the ranges of prices actually are significantly different between the two. Um, but yeah, I agree with you totally. Um, you know, as I grow in uh, commercial real estate, hopefully I get to the point where I can be comfortable building a team outside my neighborhood um, and investing, you know, in other places. But right now, um, you know, like I said before, I'm very hands-on. I like to see what I'm buying. Um, so the neighborhood is my focus right now for sure. Absolutely. So, so let's, uh, let's talk about, you know, some issues that you have with these duplexes. So a lot of people, particularly military investors that I've talked to feel like they need to get started with a smaller multifamily property you know, to get experience, to get their feet wet, you know, whatever, whatever they feel like, um, you know, is their justification for starting small. 
And then they kind of get into the point where they realize that a larger multifamily is ultimately the best way to do it. So um, what are some of the issues that you had with scaling up that really made you kind of shift away from sticking to smaller multifamily and buying them here and there to just getting straight into larger multifamily? Well, um, I think the first one is education, right? You just don't, I mean, you look at the price of a, a duplex and, you know, and also with the VA loan, right? The VA loan, you start asking around, you learn real quick that residential is four, you know, one, two, three, or four units. Mm-hmm. And the VA loan, you can use that for a residential property. So right there, I was like, okay, I got to take advantage of the VA loan. So I can only use it for a maximum of four units. So that was kind of my initial thought process. Um, but it's funny, you know, we were looking at a few four units and, you know, then I would look at uh, CoStar and see that the price that we could pay for a four unit is the same as a 10 unit down the street. And it's, you know, you start asking yourself, well, wait a minute, that doesn't really make much sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, they're all two bedroom, one bathroom. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what could possibly be that much different? They're only a few blocks away from each other. So um, it really, you know, I, I don't know, you just gotta, you gotta be curious and ask questions because, um, you know, if you, if, you know, I, I was stuck on using the VA loan and I think the VA loan should definitely be used. Um, you got to take advantage of it. But, uh, but at the same time, it also restricted me, um, because I didn't, you know, I wanted to scale faster and because I didn't have much equity in my first property using the VA loan. I wasn't able to buy the next property. Whereas if I would have had a 20% down payment, you know, I would have had a much better chance getting the lender to allow me to buy another one. So there's pros and cons. Um, but, but yeah, to answer your question, uh, that's kind of how I established my initial criteria. I just didn't know commercial was an option. Um, and, you know, I even mentioned it to my broker uh, who was also an investor and um, a veteran and he had no experience with commercial and, you know, he couldn't really speak to it. So, um, yeah, you just got to be curious. You got to ask and, and learn, uh, learn about it. And I will say, you know, bigger pockets, which was kind of my primary education source, they didn't, you know, when I was listening, it, there wasn't too much commercial focus. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of different residential strategies discussed, but, commercial and maybe it just didn't stick out to me but uh commercial really wasn't one of them and i know now they've kind of pivoted i know brandon turner is uh is is switching into multifamily, which which is funny you know but uh but yeah so yeah no i i um i totally agree on the bigger pockets thing i was all about it when I first got started. They're just talking about, you know, small multifamily, fix and flips, pretty much anything that's not anything outside of multi, like larger multifamily or commercial real estate as a whole. And, you know, I just, every episode, it seemed like there was just someone talking about the same thing that they were doing with flips and flips or whatever. So yeah, I totally, I totally get that, that, um, that thought process there. So, so let me ask you then, you know, what, um, what stopped you from getting creative with your financing on that second deal? Getting creative in terms of, cause I, I did the, you know, I negotiated the lease to own. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, I will say a, a big part of it is COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much, 
there's so much and it's opportunity cost the two two of those combined right i'm still learning um and because i'm i've you know i got involved with this second duplex in this lease to own before i had really decided and linked up with my mastermind mm. so now that my focus is on commercial i almost am looking at this other duplex as like you know it's not the best use of my time right mm. so you know if i can you know if i'm cash flowing just a little bit it's not worth it right if i could be focusing solely on becoming a general partner in my first deal that's where the focus should be because you know i'm i'm working a corporate w2 job and that has to take up most of my time every week um so you know i have two other side hustles and i'm married right so you know it's it's uh you know i don't want to say it's lucky that i don't have kids cuz i would love to have kids someday but I don't have any time right now. <laughs> we, you know, we've decided to hold off on getting a dog because we just don't have the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so you know, it would it wouldn't surprise me um, if we walked away from this other duplex. We have it under lease to own until July, mm-hmm. um, and we have an agreed upon purchase price. And I have no regrets, um, even you know the days when I have to go over there and scrub the toilets, um, I still, you know, it was a great learning experience. Mm -hmm. And to that, you know, I know a lot of people say, you know, you you don't have to start small. You don't have to, you know, it's, it's a great learning experience to at least get one single family home Mm -hmm. and go through the process of working with a lender, working with a broker, you know, and, and, uh, and even if, you know, it's not a crazy cash flowing property that you hold on to and rent out, like you learn from it. Right. And uh, and anything you live in and own is better than renting. Right. And giving your money to someone else. So um, I don't know. There's there's something to be said about starting small, even if it's just your primary residence. Yeah, fair enough. So if you could go back now, knowing what you know now, knowing the, the people that you know within the mastermind. Um, and you, and you were still going to purchase that, uh, that duplex, would you do anything different on how you set up the deal or how you finance it? Um, I probably, I probably wouldn't have gone into it because the, you know, the price was a little bit too high. I was optimistic, um, in, in the underwriting I was doing at the time. Um, I am a different underwriter today than I was uh, eight months ago. So, um, you know, I was using the underwriting I used relied heavily on me being part of the management. Mm -hmm. Right. And the underwriting that I know how to do now means that I'm passive. It's third party property management all day. So if you're not accounting for that expense and you don't already know the property manager that's going to be managing it, then you haven't really done your underwriting, right? Um, and yeah, I underwrote that property with very small cash flow margins. And, uh, and that's why I say, you know, there's a good chance that we'll be walking away when the lease to own comes to, end, comes to the end. Um, but yeah, it was it, still great learning experience. Um, and, uh, glad I did it, but, um, uh, my time would be, 
better spent somewhere else. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Okay, cool. So let's get into uh, more of the multifamily side, uh, like the larger multifamily. So, you know, you've obviously made this transition. You found this mastermind group that you're working with and you kind of, for lack of a better term, seen the light when it comes to commercial real estate. So, you know, transitioning and starting a business and, and starting as someone who's relatively new to the commercial real estate realm, you know, what has been your biggest challenge or your biggest um, obstacle so far with getting off the ground? Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it's interesting. And one thing that surprised me so much about the mastermind is how many people enjoy underwriting and how many people are still active duty and investing in, in things that they're not even, they might be on the other side of the world and they're networking and underwriting deals that, you know, they might not ever see in person. Um, and it just amazed me. Um, so, you know, I came, came in, tried to learn as much as possible, but I have a different perspective than a lot of people. I'm, I'm no longer active duty. Um, I am boots on the ground. I plan on investing in the Atlanta area. Um, and it's a relatively strong real estate market. So there are opportunities here. Um, and I am not a skilled underwriter. And that is the number one thing that I am focused on right now is underwriting. I actually, it's funny, um, in an hour, I'll be starting an underwriting. We do a weekly underwriting call for my mastermind every Thursday. Nice. So, um, you know, and it, there's a CPA that does the underwriting and uh, she's very good at what she does, but it's hard to keep up sometimes. But, uh, but yeah, the, the great thing about multifamily, and you said it before, is that there's a team right? Um, and that's what I really enjoy about it is that I don't have to be amazing at the underwriting. I need to understand the numbers. Um, but I'm not the only one that's going to be looking at them, right? I have many sets of eyes, not only, you know, in the team that I'm investing with, but also the mastermind, you know, that's what it's there for. It's there for to bounce off ideas and, and, uh, you know, check your homework, make sure you're doing everything right. So, so the team aspect of it just makes it, uh, it makes it enjoyable. You know, it, it feels less risky and you come to enjoy it. Um, so I'm enjoying the journey. Um, I cannot wait to do the first deal as an active GP investor. I just, and it's great to hear stories. I, I know, you know, you're an active investor right now and it's just, uh, it's awesome. The more people you meet in this community um, that are finding success and uh, and doing it with teams of people, it's more fun to succeed with teams than it is by yourself. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I'm just, you know, I see the light from corporate America and it's exciting. Gotcha. Yeah, man. I, uh, I, I totally feel that, that draw to, want to spend all your time doing real estate investing when, when you have to spend a certain amount of time doing the W2. So I totally, I totally get it. Totally get the draw. Um, so what is, um, what do you find difficult about underwriting? What is your biggest holdup on that? What do you find to, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, you, you start getting into it and you have all these syndicated deal analyzers, and there's so it, it really is an art. It's not a science. It's not black and white. Um, it's very much 
you know, these are the assumptions that I make, right? Um, even if you take some of the most successful people in the business and you put all of their assumptions in a chart, a lot of them are different. You know, they're, uh, they all have a different, different way of looking at things and assuming different things. And, the, you know, the other thing is cap rate. Cap rate to me is so ambiguous and it is such a rabbit hole. Um, you know, and it starts off with find a broker you trust and ask them what the cap rate should be for that property in that neighborhood. And I went to a real estate meetup last night and met two brokers that I've come to know very well. And they said, yeah, never believe a cap rate from a broker. And that's the broker saying that. <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I, I think that's the hardest part is wrapping my mind around knowing that I have to create my own assumptions because it's an art. I, I have to figure out how I should underwrite personally um, and which assumptions I'm comfortable making. And I also, you know, when you look at some of these syndicated deal analyzers, you click on some of these Excel cells and there's a hundred characters in there with the function of where it's pulling information from. And I talked to some people that have engineering backgrounds and they understand all of that. Um, and I'm never going to get to the point and I never want to get to the point where I understand that. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's difficult for me to accept that I'm not going to be great at it. Um, but I need to get to a place where I'm a little bit better than I am now. And I find, you know, a, you know, I, I'm, I'm using several different analyzers right now. I need to get comfortable with one and just be able to use it quickly and accurately, um, accurately knowing that it's an art, you know, so. Yeah. Um, still learning though, learning every day, <laughs> man. Hey, that's, I mean, that's, that's half the battle is just learning how to do all of this. Cause it's like drinking from a freaking fire hose, man. I mean, all the books and the podcasts and the, and the seminars and the networking, like it's just a lot. It's a freaking lot. Um, and some people get it and some people don't. And, um, you know, on, on your underwriting note, I think it's, I think it's worthwhile to say that. Um, yes, it is very unique, but don't think that your underwriting isn't going to change as you change as well. I can't tell you how much I, how many times I've had experiences that have, that have bit me in the ass. Then I'm like, oh man, I really got to underwrite for that in the future or, or something to do with tax. Like I had, um, for example, <laughs> I had a property, a triplex that we bought and, um, I didn't account for the taxes at all. The taxes were super low. I was like super excited about it. And come to find out that the property hadn't been reassessed at a, a different tax level um, since the property had been completely redone and overhauled and the property was now worth three times what it was before. But the tax level was still at, at what it was before. So I think we were paying like um, like $700 a year in taxes for this property, which is what I was wow. looked at. And then come time to purchase a property, it got reassessed. And now we had taxes that were, uh, I think it came out to be like 2,600 a year in taxes, three times as much as what we, almost four times as much as what we originally were underwritten for. And so it just goes to show you that I didn't underwrite for that at all. I didn't underwrite for a new purchase price. I didn't underwrite for when they were actually going to uh, reassess the property, if it was a due upon sale, which it was, uh, or if it was at the end of the year or whatever. 
And so from now on, I always underwrite for the, I always look for that specifically um, when I'm when I'm underwriting a property because that's a uh, that can really bite you in the ass if you're not expecting the taxes to to jump up. But it's little things like that. Like I when if I had underwritten a property a commercial property before I had that triplex, I I it would have been completely different than what it is now. And I think that's uh, that's noteworthy that you don't have to be stuck in in your initial underwriting phase, right? I mean, look what's happened with COVID. I mean, people were underwriting for much different terms before COVID happened. You know, people were underwriting for, you know, in some areas of, of Atlanta, I'm sure, 2 to 3%, maybe 4% rent growth over year over year, um, which is probably not realistic now. Um, nowadays, a lot of people underwrite for negative rent growth within the first year or, or neutral rent growth. I know a lot of people used to underwrite for having a high vacancy, you know, um, some notable kind of big gurus were underwriting for like the first two to three years, like a 14 or 15% vacancy. Um, and now that's probably not even conservative enough with uh, depending on the area that you're underwriting. in. so that's all needless to say that um, you, you can learn how to underwrite, but then you may have some revelation or some life experience that completely throws that out of whack. So uh, that's what I kind of like about underwriting is that it's constantly an evolving um knowledge base and it's totally based on your own experiences and um you know when people say yeah can you teach me how to underwrite is like i mean i can teach you what my own experiences have taught me how to do so you know i think it's very much a very personal thing and that's what i really like about underwriting is you can totally make it your own thing and uh, something that doesn't work for some person may work for you um because you may have it you may have a um extra income that you can figure out because of you have your own property management company, or you have this extra income that you're looking at based off of your experience, like putting in vending machines or laundry or whatever else. So that's just my two cents on, on underwriting. But I think, uh, I think you make really good points on, on underwriting being an art rather than a, than a science. Oh yeah. And, and let me just add, I think it's, um, you know, the first couple of deals I was underwriting, you know, I look at what they're, what the asking price is, and I'm like, okay, I know that they're going to ask for a price that's higher than, you know, what they're willing to accept for the property, right? So I had that. So in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, you know, I could use this as a benchmark, right? I should come in 10 to 20% less than they're asking for. And if I'm close to that amount, then I'm probably underwriting somewhat correctly, right? Well, you know, as I, as I, you know, underwrite more deals, you know, you, you find out a lot of these commercial deals, they don't even give you an asking price. So you're just, you know, you're just uh, kind of shooting in the dark, um, you know, with, with your art of what assumptions you're using and how you're entering in the numbers. So, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, I really, I, I can't say right now that I enjoy underwriting, but I'm really hoping that sometime in the near future, I get to the point where I'm like, okay, it's starting to click and I'm starting to enjoy this and I can really, you know, dive in and, uh, and start developing my own, my own skills here. So, but, uh, but yeah, so, but, you know, as a, as a starting investor, I feel like, you know, you gotta have that foundation because unless you're independently wealthy, right. What do you bring into the table? Right. I don't own a property management company. I'm not independently wealthy. If I don't come to the table with a deal, right? And I can't, I can't say for certain that it's a deal unless I know how to underwrite it, right? 
So I feel like, you know, that's really what I have to bring to the table. I can network around Atlanta. I can get the deals to flow to me, but proving that the deals are actually deals, um, you know, I need to know how to underwrite. So I feel like, you know, I'm going in the right direction. Um, I'm not there yet, but for, for those of the investors out there considering like, Hey, you know, how do I get into this game? Um, you know, being a good underwriter and bringing a deal, you know, once you network with enough people and you talk to enough investors, you're going to learn a lot of investors are never going to say no, no, I wouldn't invest with you because you're not experienced. If you come to them with the right deal, they're going to say yes, you know? Um, So, but you have to prove that you know how to, how to define a deal. So that's, that's where I'm at. Um, And, uh, and I'm excited. I'm excited to keep learning. So. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And uh, for those of you that are are in the same boat that kind of don't know what they bring to the table, um, just getting started, don't know where to even start learning um, about the roles of, of being an active general partner. You should take a look at episode 21 of uh, the Lessons in Real Estate show. We talk, uh, I talk extensively about the roles of a general partnership. And uh, I mean, there's a ton of different things you can do on the general partnership outside of just raising capital, outside of finding deals or underwriting. So um, if you're interested in more learning more about that, please take a look at that episode, episode 21. But uh, Joe, we're getting close to the end of the episode here. Um, you want to jump into the snapshot round? Yeah, let's do it. All ahead, plank, cavitate, snapshot, tube, tube. All right, here we go. Joe, first question. What is your number one failure in real estate? Number one failure in real estate. Um, and I definitely touched on this earlier, but assuming I could do it on my own um, and escape a W-2 job. It can't be done in a timely fashion. That's for sure. Absolutely. Love it. All right. As a former active duty investor, um, what, uh, what advice do you have for other military investors to be successful? I would say get started earlier. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast and you're still active duty, man, like there are so many resources like this podcast there are so many different masterminds out there. Um, you know, you just got to put yourself out there and just network a little bit. Social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, it's amazing how many resources are out there. But if you're not looking for them, you're not going to find them. Love it. Good point. Good point. All right. What inspired you to serve your country? Um, I, you know, I, I was working as a project engineer in construction Um, and I just, you know, I had wrestled for four years in high school. I was, I was fit. I was not married. And, you know, I, I think my, I think what really drew me to the Marine Corps, I mean, it was the challenge. Um, but it was this sense of, um, like team and, and, uh, you know, duty because I was a boy scout growing up. And, you know, you're in a platoon in Boy Scouts, you do a lot of camping, you know, you earn merit badges and stuff like that. And that structure, um, I really liked that type of structure. And um, I was working in Chicago at the time. And let me just tell you, the Marine Corps was doing a great job marketing for Marine Corps officers in Chicago. 
Um, and, and what really got me was I applied with a perfect, perfect physical fitness score and I still didn't get in my first time around. Um, so after that, it was kind of a punch in the face. I was like, wait a second. You know, I didn't know much about the military. I didn't have any family in the military and I can't get into the military. Right. So after that, it was just a challenge. I was like, I'm, I'm not going to not get into the military if I want to. Right. So after that, I was off to the races. I was, you know, running five K's every weekend. I flew to Jordan for a Habitat for Humanity trip, just uh, really focused on building my resume. Um, but yeah, I really like that sense of duty. And looking back, um, I have nothing but great things to say about my time in the Marine Corps. Um, I still, still think, you know, I'm glad um, I chose to get out and focus on building a family. Um, but, but nothing but great things to say about my time in. Love it. All right. Perfect. And last question, Joe, what is your dream? So my dream, um, is to become a developer. I have, you know, I, I have that construction background. I'm getting into real estate. I've always wanted to own my own company. I just, I see developers out there and they can take a flat piece of land and it's like a blank cat canvas, you know, they can, they can build the infrastructure, you know, retail multifamily, you know, they could get train tracks brought in. You know what I mean? It's just, you know, obviously that's a massive scale, but I just really, you know, multifamily is, is a total value add to the community, right? You're, you're um, raising the value of workforce housing and improving the community. And I'm all about that. But a developer, I mean, you're really, you're changing the landscape of the community, right? Um, and I just, I really think as millennials, I think we're really changing what we want in neighborhoods that we live in. And I think developers are really the ones that make that change. Um, so I'd like to be part of that in the future. But, uh, you know, I think, I think I'm taking the right steps to someday be there, but it's a long road, um, yeah. but it'll be a fun ride. I love it, man. I love it. Yeah. Dreaming, dreaming big for the future. That's, I mean, that's where it starts. You just reverse engineer it from there. You got to start, got to start big. So no, I really, uh, I really think that's an awesome, an awesome dream you have there. But uh, hey, Joe, well, we're here at the, at the end, but I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your story and talking through everything. Cause I think um, you have a story that a lot of not only just military investors as a whole, but investors and those who are in corporate America or those who work at W2 and want to, you know, strive to something bigger and strive to something outside of the W2 job. I think you have a story that really relates to a lot of them. So I appreciate you coming on here and sharing. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, I, I really appreciate it. And, you know, it's... Uh, you know, I, I told my story. I'm, I'm definitely not there yet, but I am uh, humbled and honored uh, that you asked me on here. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think that um, people, particularly guys who are just getting started, like rookies, if you will, take a lot more from those who are relevant to them, those who are at the same place as them and struggling through the same thing, that kind of camaraderie than than people who, you know, own 10,000 units already. Um, sure. Can they give you a lot of great steps to build out your portfolio for the future and how to scale and how to, you know, calculate these types of expenses and whatever else? Sure. But, you know, some people are probably never going to get to that point. And I think it really connects with a lot of people hearing the same struggles and how they're getting over those struggles 
that that uh, other people who are listening to this are facing right now. So never never discredit uh, the worth that you have to uh, to a group or to this podcast. So I definitely appreciate everything you have to offer because it's 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 worthwhile. It's worthwhile whether you think so or not. You know. Great. Yeah, I, I hope I hope uh, you know there's some aspiring uh, commercial real estate you know um, military members out there that that take something away from this. That's awesome. Absolutely. All right, Joe. If people want to reach out to you or learn more about you, where can they go? Yeah. So uh, my company is Operational Capital. Um, you can reach me at Joe at opcapllc.com. Um, happy. And I'm always on LinkedIn. So Joe Belady, um, on LinkedIn, I'm the only Joe Belady, so you can't miss me. Perfect. And we'll include that all in the show notes. So again, Joe, thanks for coming on here and I hope you stay safe back in the States and, uh, back home. And, uh, probably when this comes out, it'll be around Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving and, uh, you know, happy holiday time as well. Yeah, you too. And enjoy your time in Japan. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. If you are a military investor and found this episode of the Lessons in Real Estate show packed with great information, tell your friends and leave a five-star rating on your listening platform. Every comment is read and appreciated. Don't forget to check out our weekly episodes of PCI Teaches, brought to you by Pinto Capital Investments. Learn about basic and advanced topics in real estate investing. Catch updates on Anthony's journey through Learn and Teach segments and listen to the tales of other military investors and real estate professionals every week. We'll catch you next time on the Lessons in Real Estate show.